guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com reach out on facebook at quadcast or online at drquadjo.ca welcome to solving healthcare i'm quadro caramante i'm an icu and palliative care physician here in ottawa and the founder of resource optimization network we are on a mission to transform healthcare in canada I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah, yes! Welcome back, Walkass Nation. We got a special episode. We got the hosts. Amy and Sarah from the Gritty Nurses podcast. And we talk all things related to healthcare that has been so paramount. We talk about burnout within healthcare. We talk about systemic racism. We talk about the roles as as media personnel. You would have seen them on CBC, CP24, interviews with Brian Goldman. These guys are changing the boogeyman for real. We also talk about podcasting a little bit and advocating for other healthcare providers. It's, it's a, you're going to really enjoy this episode. Before we get into it, I've got to make note of solving wellness. Y'all need to jump on the train. Solving wellness, this is a way of, of us to address burnout within healthcare. We have virtual workouts, yoga sessions, cooking classes, nutrition tips, sleep advice, mindful meditation. We even have a question and answer session done by myself and Amazing psychologist, Catherine Caramantang. So y'all going to love it. Check it. $99 for the year, $9.99 per month. And ta-da, first month is free. All right, let's do this. We're going to bring you the gritty nurses, Amy and Sarah. Let's just jump on it. Quad, cast, nation. Listen here. We got a special, unique exemplary episode today. We got fellow podcasters in the mix. Sarah, Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. I'm I'm so pumped. I'm hyped up. I'm ready. I'm ready. You better be, man. We got the Gritty Nurse podcast crew. And it's always fun getting other podcasters on board because then 
like they're usually the easiest interview, no pressure. Cause you know, you know what it's like to be on the uh, inter- like interviewing side. So yeah. I'm so appreciative. And, and like, this was a long time coming. We've been connecting on social media. Y'all jumped on the solvent wellness train. So yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having us. We, yeah, like you said, we've been we've been waiting, so we're ready. It's like Let's third go. third time's a charm. We we got it this time. It's gonna <laughs> be third awesome. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. Okay, I'm gonna start with Sarah, um, the gritty nurse. It's very successful podcast, but I, I, I gotta ask, like, how did this come to be? How did you guys develop this super amazing show? You know, I think it was really a long time coming. A lot of times people think that we had this aha moment where we're like, let's start a podcast. But I think really it's just a culmination of our experiences in healthcare. So being nurses, being women, uh, we've experienced a lot of challenges in our careers. And I think that we really, it really came to a head when Amy and I worked together. So the backstory is Amy and I have worked together in the past. We've been in two different jobs together, two different organizations. She's like my work wife. And we experienced a lot of bullying and we had some mental health struggles at one of our organizations. And it got to the point where we tried to bring our concerns up the chain of command and it just went nowhere. So then finally, Amy said to me one day, why don't we do a podcast? And I don't, I didn't know anything about podcasts. I didn't listen to podcasts and I'm like, sure, I'm game. Let's just figure all this out. Like we had to figure out social media. We had to figure out our audio equipment. We really started from nothing. And so in the beginning, we kind of just did it as therapy. We talked about our bullying experiences, our mental health struggles, and really nobody was listening for a long time. And then people started listening and it's just sort of snowballed from there. So for this whole year, for 2021, we've done, you know, nonstop interviews. We're really enjoying the um, platform that we've built, the support that we've given to fellow nurses and healthcare providers. And we have a lot of ideas for where we want to go next. Wowie. This is, I, I love the story. I let, what I love about it, Sarah, is that, you know what, you took the power back. So this is one of the themes on our show is like, yeah. what can you do? What's action? You were seeing that, you know, you were, there was that struggle where the bullying and being mistreated and you wanted an outlet and a way to express it. And the beautiful thing is by doing so, it's a rallying cry. You know, it gets other nurses, other allied health professionals to say, hey, we're not going to accept this. This is this is not this is not kosher. Um, but yeah. And Amy, Amy, do you feel the same way? Was it was really the push in terms of having that bullying and, and the, the, the mistreatment? Was that a, a heavy push for you to get this going? Yeah, that was that I would say that would be the driving force. And I, I feel like, you know, Sarah and I have been through a lot together and we knew that other people had similar stories. We knew that other people had shared experiences and we're like, you know what, let's talk about ours. So other people can be like, yeah, that was me too. I I had that happen to me and, you know, I didn't know how to deal with it or, or, you know, um, let's say it was about, let's say it was about racism. It's like, okay, we're two racialized women having a podcast, which is, which is quite unprecedented. If you look at all the other podcasters, most of them are like white males. So for two racialized females to kind of come onto the scene and talk about, you know, the things that make us take the things that keep us up at night and just talking about, you know, what, what really gives us passion in terms of healthcare and lifting up other people's stories. Cause that was, that was also the other piece where like, you know what, 
if we're in this boat, we know other people are in this boat, but we want to also share stories and sh- and empower other people to tell their stories. So that was kind of the impetus behind the Greeners podcast. And, and here we are today. I don't even know. I don't know what happened in January. Something just went boof. And Bam. all of a sudden, we're just like, number one, number two, Apple Podcast Medicine. We're like, what happened? What, what did we do differently? But I think it's it's just, I think it's so important to share your stories and lift other people's stories up. Yes. And this is the beauty of podcasting. And I I, I mean, anybody that's on the fence, I'll tell you, I can, I'm looking at three of us and our lives have changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. That's for real. From, from being from being putting ourselves out there for real in terms of you know you know when you hear bullying and and so forth and so forth in the workplace like what what does that look like like for those that are you know not in the healthcare stream maybe sarah i'll ask you first like wh- what was that experience like well i think that when we talk about bullying it's very um covert. So it's not something where, you know, someone's yelling in your face, someone's shoving you. It's not like that because as you may know, nursing is 80 to 95% women. And so when women work with other women, and I'm not saying it's just a female only problem, but there are certain ways that people treat each other. And I think that in healthcare, particularly, we're dealing with pressures from a lot of different fronts. So we have pressures from patients, you know, from families, they expect a lot from us. We're working with physicians, you know, they've got things they need to do. They're writing down orders. We have to get them done. Uh, We're dealing with pressures within our own team. So um, whether or not you're a junior or senior nurse, that kind of socially puts you on Um, a ladder. And so there's all these pressures building up and sometimes there's nowhere for it to go other than each other. And so I think that sometimes that is the issue, not that that's acceptable, but that's what I've seen. And in my experience, when I moved from being a bedside nurse to nursing leadership, it actually got worse. I was not expecting that. So when women are working together in leadership, sometimes someone is threatened by you. And rather than you know, working together, they try the best they can to cut you down any way they can, you know, forming alliances. I felt like I was on an episode of Survivor where like, you know, it's like the last one standing wins, but actually you don't win. Nobody wins when you, when you work like that. And so I felt that first of all, that I couldn't say what was happening. I didn't feel safe to say that I was being bullied. Even if I did feel safe, I didn't feel like there was anywhere to turn. I didn't know who to go to for help. And it's just something that is way more common than it needs to be and something that we need to discuss. When we talk about nurses eating their young, I feel like nothing has changed over a number of years. And we really wanted to blow the lid off that and start talking about it and talk about things that you can do to make the situation better. Wow. And I'll tell you, as um, saying as an outsider, I don't know if that's fair. Cause, I mean, because I'm not a nurse, but you see it. It's it's quite apparent. Oh, I've so you it see it too. Career. Oh, 100 percent. OK. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like there's a, it, it's it's cultural. Like you'll see the way you see it in, for example, in some of the ICUs I've worked at is that there's an overall tension, overall uh, animosity. And it often that that bullying is often carried into the younger staff younger staff feel like they got to walk walk on eggshell the overall atmosphere in the icu is more of a restrictive one everyone's just like like anxious and wound up you know i mean it's one of what part of you know one of the things 
for me personally, as a, a taking over, uh, like a, as head of the department is to have, make sure that culture is not there, that it is a positive culture that we, uh, we lift each other. Um, but Amy, I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective on like what you like amongst your conversations, have you found, is there a way around this? Is there stuff, strategies that you, that you found that has been effective to try and mitigate this, or is this just something you got to ride out? It's definitely something I don't think you should ride out. I think this is, this is where I talk about um, calling it out when it happens. Right. I think, I think, and I don't think it's just women. I think, well, I, well, maybe I'd say that, you know, women are tend to be less confrontational, but I think that you need to call it out when it happens. So we talk about, you know, mirroring or even just like, you know, talking, to, like having that conversation beforehand, right? Even if, the, if it's just like, okay, I'm going to approach this person because, you know, they have been bullying me or they have been gaslighting me. And I'd, I'd like to kind of circle back to gaslighting because that's huge in medicine and healthcare that, you know, um, you need to call it out. So when it happens, you just need to be like, hold up, like, what is happening here? Or even just be like, you know, correct your tone like that. Like, you know, we're, we're not, we're not parent and child. You're not yelling at me. You're not talking to me like that. You wouldn't talk to your dog like that. So why are you talking or treating me like that? And I think, I think more people have to pull people aside or even just right there in the moment, like I said, just say, Hey, this is actually not acceptable behavior. You have to model what you, what, what you expect from other people. If you expect to be treated with respect, then you need to treat other people with respect. I think um, this is not immune to nursing. And just like I wanted to circle back to gaslighting, that's the other one that I see a lot in healthcare and in nursing leadership as well, where it is they, they, you know, I'd say that we're all highly intelligent people, right? You're a physician, we're nurses with uh, advanced degrees, so we both have our master's degree. And I would say that we're intelligent people. But it's always when, when you start to question your ability in terms of your intelligence, in terms of what you know, in terms of your, your expertise, and the, the person who's making you question that is, is belittling you in some way, shape, or form, or they're, you know, maybe you've sent off an email and they're like, oh, no, I actually didn't say that. And they're making you re, redo your work or, or these little small insidious things. That is gaslighting. And I think most people don't even recognize when that's happening. They're just like, am I going crazy? Am I, am I not getting this right? Like I thought I knew how to do this, but this other person is, is, is slowly kind of beating you down into the ground and saying, Oh no, you know, um, no, you got that wrong. Or, or, or even what happened to me was I was in a meeting and then I got called out in a meeting when the person was actually wrong to put the heat on me. And I was like, like, how is this happening? And then, you know, after that, they're like, oh, you know, thank you for, for doing that. It's like, wait a minute. This is, like, I didn't even want to be a part of that. Like, that was your responsibility. And I think that happens time and time again in healthcare, that gaslighting. Wow. Hey, I'm getting pissed off just hearing about it. <laughs> I, I, think, um, I think one of the things, and I don't know if you guys have found this to be helpful, that when, when this does happen, that... Uh, having your peers, having like a colleague, a trusted person that you could lean on to say like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> am I missing something here? Am I crazy? Am I thinking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I, I must say for me, it's, uh, that's been an issue my whole, like whole career, you know, you, you, like, especially if you guys are moving up the chain, you'll have more and more naysayers, you know, especially when people like we'll talk about race a bit too, but like when people don't look like you, Mm -hmm. you know, they're more, in my opinion, they're more inclined to 
to beat you down, whether yeah. you, it's guy sliding, whether it's bullying. And so to really have that, you know, support mm-hmm. within your, your circles, I think is a super important one. Well, I mean, I think Amy and I kind of were each other's person when we were going through this, we helped each other through it. And um, just going back to the whole racism, uh, I feel that in my experience, the more, the higher up you move in any organization, the less diverse it becomes. So Amy and I would be sitting in these giant leadership meetings and we'd be looking around and we're one of three or four other um, racialized individuals in the whole room. And there's a hundred people. So I really think that adequate representation is important. We need to see people that look like us. The image of nursing is not just a middle-aged white woman. We need to show that we're much more diverse than that. hundred percent. And Amy, I would believe you would have some thoughts on this too, if if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. (laughs) So like you said, you know, it gets harder and harder up the chain. And I think that with myself and Sarah being kind of a little bit more in the limelight, sometimes we catch flack for things that we say, but we're going to stand behind them when we know that we want to push an anti-racist agenda as well. So like, for example, we did actually say on a tweet, I'm not going to get into it all together, but we did say that there's a lot of white supremacy in nursing. It's the same thing that Sarah's saying today where we're like, you know, when, when we go up those power chains and we look up the hierarchy, we see that there isn't that representation. We don't, we don't see people who look like us in these positions of power. And then what happens is sometimes people in those positions of power don't like hearing that. But it doesn't matter because I think that conversation on racism and, and, and race just in general it, for some people, it's a new concept, but it's not a new concept for people like yourself, myself, and Sarah. We've been dealing with racism pr- probably our entire lives. But sometimes for others, it is startling to hear. And then, you know, we get that backlash. But I think what I always like to say is, you know, if it's startling to hear and it's upsetting you, then that's some work that you need to do inter- introspectively on yourself. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like what you were saying, actually, it made me think about it when you were talking about stepping up when you're being bullied it's one of those things that too when it comes to racism out and and for people to to you know not tolerate it i always say you need like five seconds of courage maybe 10 seconds of courage you see that you just get that get that energy and be like this is not okay yeah this is not okay you know or did you mean to say that because that is rude as hell yeah that mm-hmm. hurts yep no i agree you know what i'm saying and uh I think it's the same thing when you talk about it in those and, you know, calling it out in those meetings or what have you. And it's true. I mean, it's true. It's so true what you're saying, by the way, about being in those conference rooms, looking around at, uh, like, yeah, like the BIPOC community is not well represented. And the thing I keep preaching to people that are like, does it matter? I'm like, yes, it matters. Diversity matters. It's a superpower. Okay. <laughs> Because it increases your perspective. Absolutely. It allows you to, it allows you to have that wider lens. It allows you to be more patient centric, more more human centric. Right. And so um I could not agree with you more. But I I, I guess those for those those that are racialized that are listening, I I'll I'll argue that the stuff we're talking about, the bullying, the gaslighting, the like it's amplified when you when you don't look and look like the people around you. So, um, but I always, I always say, I don't know about y'all, but you know, especially post George Floyd, it was just that healthy reminder that 
you know, we need that representation. So like, if you have that opportunity to rise up, do it, you get Absolutely. a seat at the table. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's even, it's even more than having a seat, right? Cause sometimes they give you the seat, right? Sometimes they're like, oh yeah, come, come sit down. You can sit here, but they don't allow you to talk. <laughs> so, I mean, mm. you can't just be a face. You can't just be a figurehead. If you're, if they're going to invite you to, to the table, they have to be willing to hear what you have to say. Cause sometimes that is the, the biggest piece that, you know, they're like, okay, we, we want representation. We want diversity. We want that allyship. But you need to also make sure that you're listening. You're going to bring them to the table. It's also that that means you're going to listen to what they actually have to say, because what they what they're going to be telling you is is gold. <laughs> so, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that, again, you know, it's so important to have that representation, but it's more than just sitting there. It's actually having them listen, do something and actually make meaningful change off of, you know, some of the things that you say and some of the things that you bring to light in terms of what they might not even recognize as, as something being a problem. Amen. Amen. And, you know, a lot of these things that we collectively deal with as a healthcare providers, the gaslighting, the, the bullying and the racism, I mean, it's COVID it's, yeah. it's hard to believe uh, that's not a way, right way to put it. There's there's tons of burnout right now. There's mm-hmm. tons of burnout. Do you guys maybe I'll start with Sarah? Do you feel like it's getting enough attention? Do you think we, we we're doing enough to try and address this currently within our healthcare system? No, I don't think we are. I mean, we're in the fourth wave now. We've been talking about burnout since before COVID. And with every wave, I feel like nurses are trying to sound the alarm and nobody's listening. So we're dealing with huge retention issues right now. It's not a problem necessarily with recruitment, but it's more retention because um, there have been studies done to find out why people are leaving. And it's alarming because nurses that are in their early to mid career are leaving. So we're not even talking about nurses that have chosen to retire early. People like myself, like Amy, we are young nurses. We've got families. We should be in the prime of our careers. And they're not just leaving the bedside, but they're choosing to leave the profession entirely. And, you know, it's a multifaceted issue. Some of it is about pay. So we talk a lot about Bill 124, which, as you know, caps the wages of nurses, but not other professions. Um, So it's partly about pay. It's partly about the respect that we deserve. It's also a lot about the workload. So just because you're paying someone more, but you're throwing them, you know, 10 patients at a time, it's not sustainable. And really, I think what nurses want are just the respect that we deserve, the safe workload, you know, adequate training. Um, We're not looking to necessarily put nurses in ICU that haven't been given the training and they don't feel comfortable as well. This is something maybe you could speak to. So I think that we're looking at a lot of different issues and I don't even know if there's a word for beyond burnout, but that's where a lot of nurses are daily. I see posts about nurses saying, I'm done, I'm leaving. I don't even care that I don't have a backup plan, but I'm just done. I can't do this for a single more day. And that's where we are right now. I feel like nursing is in a really dark place. Since I've been a nurse, since 2007, I feel like we're kind of at the lowest point that I've seen so far in my career. And I really think that the government and organizations need to make this a priority. Yeah. And I would just, if I could jump in there, like it's not even just nursing, it's the aspect of talking about mental health. Like, this is where we continue to say mental health is health. And we talk about having a robust universal healthcare system, but access to mental health services are still something that many people struggle with and many people don't have that access to. 
I mean, if you look at wait times right now, like we, we know that if someone wants to see a psychiatrist at this point, you need to actually go to, to the emergency department and say that you're like great, like you're gravely ill, like you're going to commit suicide or whatever. Otherwise you have like an eight month wait list. Um, the, the other thing is just, you know, the services, the, the benefits that we have that surround mental health are, are really poor. Like if I look at my, I shouldn't say, hold on, I'm going to back this up. If you look at some employment records or some other hospitals in terms of what they might offer for mental health services, some places offer as little as $200. Like what's that going to get you? That might get you an initial assessment and then nothing, right? That was one of the challenges that Sarah and myself had. And we, we talked about that at nauseum to say, hey, you know, Starbucks Canada has 5000 to $10,000. There are companies that have lot larger, like what are we doing here when it comes to mental health? And for whatever reason, I, I know that COVID is, is this is a huge issue. I understand, but we are not talking about the mental health aspect that is going to continue to plague people years after COVID. I, I imagine that there are many people that are going to have PTSD that have been working in these, these situations. And we need to talk about mental health now. It's not something that we should talk about afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I have a soft spot for this because my wife's a psychologist. And um, so I 100% agree. Like, if we're going to be serious about this, you want to address burnout and shit? How, how are we going to not have well-established coverage? Like, we call it universal health, but mm-hmm. like, show some respect for the mental side to have not, to have reasonable coverage for seeing psychologists, to being able to support people during these tough times when they've, like, if we're on the theme of COVID, PTSD for seeing people die alone having crazy amount of like anxiety thinking that, you know, initially in the, in the pandemic, how worried they were about bringing COVID home when we didn't know shit. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and we're not going to support our crew. And there's, I mean, there's so much to the burnout side. And, and if I'm, if I'm a decision maker, this is where you need to invest. Absolutely. Hear, hear the voices of your people. You want retention. It's true. People are leaving left, right, and center. I'm looking at critical care, all acute care, emergency room staff. They're leaving like crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, like, think about and, and like, listen, you know, COVID aside, we're going into winter months. We are getting an aging, aged population. They're not getting younger when, when the baby boomers hitting their prime re- resource use ages. You know what I mean? So, like, What's the solution? You know what I mean? Where's the support? Yeah. This needs to be this needs to be amplified as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's essentially why we started our wellness program. It was like when, I'll never forget it. Forgive me if I've repeated this story to our crew, but I was in the ICU mid-third wave, three in the morning, and one of our allied health professionals were just in tears after just having like a we're trying to decide whether to intubate a COVID patient, actually. And just the stress of the situation started to melt like start to cry. And I was like, man, and she, and this, this person was solid, like normally like solid, you know, and I'm like, yeah. man, if, if she's in trouble, you know, the, the, this is trouble, you know, like, and this, so yeah, I guess a, a long winded way of saying absolutely agree. The other part of, I don't know if you guys find this too, like, um, as our ICU staff, one of the things that came across from our nurses too is a lot of the uh, like futile care, like the futile cases where what I mean by that is care that 
patients didn't want for them wouldn't have wanted for themselves but family maybe insists on them receiving it like do you hear much of that or have experienced much of that start with sarah I experienced that in my previous job. So I used to be a NICU nurse and a lot of times we get babies that are, you know, 23 weeks, 24 weeks, 25. So just at the edge of viability and these parents understandably wanted everything done for their infants, but it comes to the point where are we causing more suffering when we know that there's a very good chance that this infant isn't going to make it or they're going to make it with severe disabilities. So it's a real ethical issue because we want to do right by the parents. We want to do everything we can, but we have the experience and the knowledge to know that at some point it's just, you know, sometimes it's not going to have the best outcome. So it's a challenge that I think a lot of nurses face, even if you're in different um, units, it's, it's a real struggle. And you take that moral distress home with you. And sometimes it's hard to just put it into a box and go home, right? We're not machines. We can't just box up our feelings and then, you know, go on to the next patient as though nothing's happened. So I think it's something we need to talk about a bit more and, um, you know, debrief situations. I think that's important for teams too, when there's been a difficult case or a death, is there time to debrief to make sure everyone's okay before we move on? I wholeheartedly agree with that. I'm so glad you touched on that, Sarah, because like, I think that with all of the things that's been happening, we've totally forgot that debriefing is so important. Like, you know, something critical has happened. People are shook. Take five minutes to get the team together and be like, all right, let's, let's have a hot debrief or even, and then even have a cold debrief. But like, how is everybody doing? Like, what do you think we could have done differently or, or whatever those, whatever those questions that might be to lead that conversation. It's so important to have. And the other thing that you kind of brought up is we, we need to talk about, you know, these various different principles in terms of futility. So like this, again, you know, building nurses, um, I guess, strength in terms of understanding ethics too, right? So like the principles of autonomy and beneficence, non-malfeasance and justice and be like, all right, like, are we doing the right thing today? Like, should we be doing what we're doing? Are we doing too much? Are we doing too little? And bring in all those four concepts and say like, are we doing the best we can for the patient? Because at the end of the day, that's the person that we are caring for, right? So, I mean, in my in my current role, we have those conversations all the time. So I'm in quality uh, improvement and risk in the emergency departments. And um, we do have those conversations. But again, that's why I say debriefing is hugely important. And I think that, you know, it would be great that nurses are involved in ethics a little bit more. Because I think, I think physicians tend to have a little bit more basis in that. And, and I'll be honest, the only reason I... I'm really involved in ethics is because of my quality work, but I think that might also help with, you know, understanding some of the decisions that physicians may make when, when a situation like that does arise. Absolutely. And I will just say this, I do think it's important to integrate the team when it comes to either these decisions or these, you know, when you're in these futile cases, you know, show support. Like I, I know, when you, when like as a NICU nurse, for example, how long you're going to be at the bedside with that with that 23 week old? It's going to be 12 hours, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're there all day. Whereas the physicians are there. I don't know what it's like in the PEDS world, but we're there for you know 10 minutes, 15 minutes to to do rounds unless something is yeah. really going wrong. 100. percent So like it's a completely different experience, and to get that feedback from our our, our staff on why that this might be a concern. Like I, I, I'll just full disclosure. Like sometimes 
you know, you start a week off in the ICU. It's your first day or your second day. And then and the nurse tells, walks up to me and grabs my hand and says like, you know, like, are we doing the right thing right now? Like what's going on? Like it might not be on my radar yet or ever, who knows, but like the, it's great to hear that input from a colleague that's lit, that is basically at that patient side all day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Such an important um, element is like creating that team teamwork. Absolutely. Absolutely. So listen, one thing that with, with having you guys on like as fellow podcasters, but we're also fellow like media posse. Do you know <laughs> yes, what I mean? Crazy. We, do, uh, we are a small group, virtual high five. Yeah, virtual virtual high group. five. And I don't even know where to start. I, I, I'm trying to be not controversial. What? <laughs> what's the push for you guys to do the 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 stuff on mainstream media? Like, what fu- what fuels you to do that? I'm going to jump in with that one. What fuels me to do this, and and then Sarah, you throw in your perspective. Is there are not a lot of people that look like me in the media. There are not a lot of nurses that will come out and speak openly in the media, but we're willing to do it. So I think that, again, that's that representation, right? And I think that it's important to share our perspective. Like nurses have perspective. I think that um, one of the things that I'm worried about and what I'm seeing is, you know, we're hearing stories of anti-vax nurses, nurses that don't believe in the science, nurses that are going to these rallies. I'm like, okay, you know what? That's not all of us. (laughs) Um, Let me share a different perspective. And then also just to show that, you know, I think there's a, there's a, there's a disillusion around what nurses do in the, not in the, in the public's eye, in, in various different forms of, you know, just the media. And I think we want to show a different side. Like nurses are highly intelligent. We have the ability to critically analyze information and research and talk about evidence-based procedures. Like I said, myself and Sarah, we both have our master's degree. I have my master's degree in nursing and I have my master's degree in women's health. We have the ability to talk about these things. And there aren't a lot of nurses that come out and talk to the media. So we're just like, hey, you know what? We're going to do this thing. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. We're going to change some minds out there. We're trying to change the image of nursing, right? I think people think that, you know, we're, we're supposed to be at the bedside. We're supposed to be quiet. We're supposed to be subservient. We're supposed to do what the doctors tell us to do. <laughs> we do do that, but we do that and 10 times more. And we need to show, we need to, we need to show out for our profession. Yeah. And I want to role model the change that I would like to see. I want more nurses to be in the media and be feeling free to say what's on their minds. When we go through nursing school, and maybe this is similar for medical school too, we're always taught to care for patients. We're taught to advocate for our patients. We're never taught to practice self-care or advocate for ourselves. I think a lot of nurses don't even know what that looks like. And I read a study recently that said in um, in the media, when they're writing about healthcare, nurses are only quoted 2% of the time, 2%. And this has actually gone down in recent years. It used to be 4%. So we really need to flip this on on its head. And I think part of it is that when the media is looking for an opinion on healthcare, they most often go to physicians. But the other part of it is just the silencing and the fear that nurses feel when they're asked to speak. And we need to change that as well. We need to let nurses know it's okay to speak up. You're not revealing confidential patient information. You're not speaking badly on a particular organization or an individual. Then it's okay to talk about general issues that affect nurses and healthcare. And 
I think for myself, I thought the world was going to end the first day I did a live media interview. Um, it takes That's practice, so <laughs> you know, like all these things could go wrong, but think about all of the things that aren't going to go wrong. And the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with it. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that you said, I, I maybe I want to elaborate on, do you think in 2021, I don't want to be leading. I'm already being leading. It's too, it's too late. You you think you can speak your mind on 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 mainstream media? You know, I, I think it depends. I think it. I think there's there's the challenge is the ideas of what professionalism is, the ideas of what um, what is considered controversial. I think those are the things that we're actually trying to challenge. Right? I mean, uh, we talk about white supremacy not just in nursing, but as an overarching form, and that's not to knock white people in general. It's just talking about, you know, where the history of some of these ideas might come and come and translate down towards, you know, disadvantaging certain subsets of people. And we still see this today, right? So I think that, you know, for example, I always give this example in terms of professionalism. Some people will say, oh, you know, it's not professional to have color, like colors in your braids, or it's not professional to have an Afro, or it's not professional to look a certain way. And it's like, who defined what professionalism looks like? Who decided what a professional conversation might look like? Who decided what is controversial or not controversial? And if you can answer that question in about you know five whys, and it boils down to a certain subset of group who holds power, then that's why we need to change the way we do things. So I've, you know, I've had, for example, I've been on an interview with Dr. Brian Goldman with CBC, and he's like, do you not find what you say is controversial? And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're not saying anything controversial. We're saying things that people already are thinking, but they're too afraid to say. We're talking, we're having courageous conversations about race and about healthcare and about mental health. And if it's controversial, then I'd have to ask you, like, why do you find it controversial? We're just talking about politics. We're talking about media. We're talking about things that matter to us. So I mean, there is those challenges, like I said, within your workplace, these policies that, you know, um, really need to be looked at and reviewed and ask ourselves a little bit more about more about the question why as to why we do things the way we do. Yeah, I, I must say, you know, like we all have our, um, I guess it's like a threshold for bravery. Like <laughs> if for me, if it's race related, you know, let's go. It's time to step up. If it's affecting my kids, time to step up. There's just, I just find like, I, I'll be honest with you. Like there's so much that I don't express media wise because it's too dangerous. It's, mm -hmm. and what I mean by dangerous is like, it could potentially threaten your career and not right, just right. like threaten your career. Like, Oh, I, now I'm not going to get a professorship and whatever. No, it's like, you know, you're going to be on a potentially on a licensing board um, yeah. group saying, Oh, you know, um, you got to st stick with message when it comes to X, Y, Z. That to me is the, is the scary part, but, um, but definitely at least my line in the sand, you know, which is, it's always good to have that kind of, that, that guide has always been like one, race-related content and then kids because, um, you know, I, when, you know, maybe it's the way I was raised, maybe it's just having a lot of value and justice. I, you, I've always been 
it's been important to me to stick up for those that can't stick up for themselves. Absolutely. And, and uh, that, that to me was, has always been the line. Yeah. And I mean, I think Sarah and I don't, we don't talk about everything under the sun. Like, I think, you know, we have our areas in which we feel much more comfortable to speak on. And, and like I was saying before, there's certain hills that we'll die on and certain things that, you know, it's like, okay, that, that we're not going to engage in. Right. And I think you, you have to have that balance too. It's just like, does it make sense for me to engage in this conversation? And if it doesn't, then why would we say anything? But, you know, for example, we, ha- we have our things that are hills that we're going to be out there and we're going to, you know, challenge the status quo. And we're going to bring, we're going to bring that fire, bring that heat. But there's other things that we're like, yeah, that, that is not the hell we're going to die on today. <laughs> nope. Not that. Like we see it on Twitter. We're like, nope, nope. <laughs> keep, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Not that one today. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be the first to admit um, when you're in the media, you're in the public eye. I, if someone is going to correct me on something, I, I will stand to be corrected. If they're right, they're right. I don't have to, I don't have to be right a hundred percent of the time. Um, so I think that's important too. If, if there's new evidence or something that's come up and, you know, I've misquoted something, I'm happy to correct myself. Um, it's not that I'm the expert on everything. So on our podcast, if we don't know about something, we bring in a guest, right. To talk about the things that we don't know that much about because we don't claim to know everything and that's okay. But there are some things that we feel that, you know, we have the knowledge and expertise to speak about and that's what we speak about. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent. And I do like what you said though. I think there's been a, a lack of humble pie when it comes to COVID response that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that they'll 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 point the finger when you're wrong, but have never pointed the finger in their direction. And but I, I do think you know because you guys, I'm looking at two future future leaders. I'd like I see it, I feel it, um, and I do think this is a, an important aspect of leading as being humble and showing that you are a human and that you you do admit to your mistakes or miscalculations. And, um, and you move forward and you grow, you learn, yeah. you fail fast, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think with myself and Sarah, even having two small kids, we know that like, sometimes we're like, Nope, that was wrong. We messed that up. We got to figure this out. <laughs> and I mean, I think, I think that that speaks to just, you know, our personalities too. Right. Like, I think it's okay to be wrong. And we tell this to nursing students too, like, that's how you learn. If you, if you, if you, if you think you're right in everything or you do everything right, then I think that's more the concerning aspect that is just like, Oh, I got it all sorted out. It's like, yeah, that's more concerning to us than saying, Hey, you know, I haven't thought about it this way or yeah, I was wrong. I got to backpedal and I got to apologize. I think it's, it's not, it's not a, a character flaw to apologize. So we're happy that if we we mucked it up, we're like, okay, let's let's get out there and apologize or whatever the case may be, whatever we need to do. Yeah, and I think just with even starting a podcast and being in the media, we just I don't think there's anything overly special about myself. I don't know about you, Amy. I mean, I was just willing to do it. I just had the courage to do it. I, I don't think I was you know, the best person necessarily to have a podcast, but we were willing to try and we knew it didn't have to be perfect and we were willing to just keep going. So if, if there's anyone listening that wants to, you know, try some of the things that we are doing, just get started. Really. That's, that's all you need. You need the passion, you need, um, you know, the willpower and just, just start. Yep. A microphone in your voice. That's it. And passion. 100%. 100%. I, oh, like, this is one thing because I also say in medicine, we attract a lot of, or in healthcare, 
you attract a lot of like perfectionist type A's and stuff. At times you just got to do it. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. I just was like, let's grab this mic. You know what I mean? And just like went with it. And um, actually this might be a good place to, a good way to end. What has there been any, like what's been your favorite yeah, there's a lot of options. Favorite either moment on the show, favorite way that the show has changed your life, uh, favorite way that like like uh, either a, whether it's an event, speaking engagement, opportunity that is a came, came about through the show that you would like in your wildest dreams you would never would have guessed <laughs> would have thrown down. And maybe we'll start with Amy because you look like you're ready to go with something. Okay. Um, So I think it was last week, right, Sarah, that we were tapped on by Al Jazeera News. So that was wild. We're like, what? (laughs) We're like, how do they even like, how do these people even find us? So that was wild. So we did we did a video with them. I I don't even know if they've aired it because there was there was a little bit of an issue with the producer or someone, whoever was on the show. But uh, the fact that they reached out to us, we sent them our video. They want to still do work with us. We're like, oh my God, Al Jazeera. Sure. We're like, see that next. Who knows? Right. <laughs> so that's, that, that's always the wild piece. But the, the one thing that, uh, that I'm actually super excited about and super proud about is I actually posted this on my LinkedIn page where I actually had, I missed my master's degree um, convocation and um, I missed it because I had a job opportunity. Sarah knows where I'm going with this one where I had had applied for a job um, and the interview fell on the same day as my convocation. I remember saying, Hey, you know, um, I have my convocation this day. Like, what do you think I should do? Just trying to kind of get a little bit of feedback. And they're like, well, what's more important to you? Like your job or, you know, going to convocation. And I was like, my mind, I was like going to convocation, (laughs) but I was like, okay, you know, like I got to be an adult. Let's go for this job thing. So I go to the job interview. It's the, the, they're already half an hour late. They start like the two people were coming in and out of the room. I was like, what's going on. Then we finally started the interview and I was super nervous by this time. And then um, there was an interruption, like another person came into the room Then they got up and went to talk to each other and then came back out. And I'm like, like, I've never had an interview like this ever. And uh, so then I was, I, I felt a little shook, right? I felt a little rattled because I was like, this is like the worst interview experience I've ever had. Long story short, didn't get the job, but then ended up missing convocation, right? So, um, and then I found out through the grapevine that they knew I wasn't going to get the job. They were, they literally were just going through the motions. They're like, oh, you know, here are the applicants, but we're going to just, we're going to just do this anyways, knowing full well that now I missed my, my uh, convocation. So this year we were actually approached by uh, U of T, U of T Faculty of Nursing to actually be the keynote speakers for this year's 2021 nursing convocation. So I'm like, you know what? I didn't get to wear my gown then, but I get to go up, wear my gown, welcome in the new class and tell them like, hurrah, you guys, you guys got this. So I am super stoked that I get to at least attend my graduation again. That is amazing. Came full circle, yeah. y'all. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I think for me, it's it's just when we get emails or we get messages from nursing students that say that they listen to us every single week because their professors have recommended us. And I'm like, they're recommending us because I guess, you know, there's not a lot of Canadian nurses 
really doing podcasts. So people listen to us. And I imagine that they're discussing us in their class or in online forums. Like they're listening for podcasts, they're dissecting it. And that is really mind blowing to me. And I know that even other people that we know sit down and have these listening parties, like they'll be eating pizza or drinking wine while listening to us talk. And I still find this so weird because, you know, with podcasting, you just speak into the wind and it's not like you're speaking in front of a live audience. So you don't get that feedback in the moment. So it's very strange for me that people are listening to us in this way. And also the fact that we get to speak to so many well-known guests, like we've had Dr. Brian Goldman on, um, we're going to have a couple big names coming up as well. Um, we've had Kathy Crow on, who's a huge nursing advocate. Uh, this is just, I don't think we would have ever been able to do this without the podcast as our opportunity. So I, I still find that very weird. And I don't know, because with the pandemic, we really haven't met anyone in person. So that's also very strange when we do. We met um, a listener. We met a listener recently. And I think she said to me, like, oh, I thought you'd be taller. And I'm like, really? Yeah, I thought you'd be taller. <laughs> I thought you'd be taller. We're like, oh, TV, like, makes look short. <laughs> yeah. Short. Oh, that is amazing. I, I, I got to tell you, too, like, once you once, uh, you know, we get closer and closer to the real world you'll you'll have more and more of those situations like I, I think it's hard to really get a grasp like most of you guys took off during covid it's hard to get a grasp of your reach when your circles are small right now but when you travel into conferences again seeing family different parts of the country i'm sure you guys are going to feel the love because uh the content is fantastic oh thank um, you absolutely listen let me thank you for joining the quadcast doing your part to what we call changing the boogie changing the conversation changing people's lenses you know what i mean this is sarah and amy throwing down i'm so proud that you guys were willing to come on the show and i know it was three times a charm but i have a feeling that this won't be the only time that we talk to each other no, just I a feeling so. i have that feeling yeah. too yeah looking forward to it amazing thanks so much guys thank you thanks Quadcast Nation, thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at Quadcast. Leave any messages, any comments at Quadcast99 at gmail.com. Leave that five-star rating, yo. It matters. It helps with the visibility of the show. Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you and we love you. Check it. Solving wellness. Yes. You know, we're changing the boogie, trying to improve burnout amongst healthcare providers solvingwellness.com join us today thanks so much for listening guys it means the world to us we'll connect again real soon peace